In just a moment, we'll stand for the reading of God's Word, but let me set the context of where we are. In the summer, we preach through the Psalms, the Psalter. The the Psalms are the hymn book of the church. They are for the early church. They were the theology text. And these Psalms are numbered 150. And there is tucked into these Psalms what Eugene Peterson calls an old dog-eared songbook called the Psalms of Ascents. The Psalms of Ascents are among the first psalms that an ancient Israelite would know by heart. The Psalms of Ascent are numbered 15, and we don't exactly know precisely why the Psalms of Ascent exist. There is some debate Calvin, for example, said that the Psalms of Ascent were to be sung in a higher key in the singing of God's people in worship. The predominant view of the Psalms of Ascent are that they are the Psalms that the people of Israel would recite or sing together as they walked to the festivals in Jerusalem three times a year. Passover in the spring, Pentecost in early summer, and the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. And as they walked up to the hill, 1 Kings 12, 28, Jeroboam says, and we will go up the hill to Jerusalem. As they would walk up the hill to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. And so they're, they're festival songs. They're, they're um, pilgrim songs. And this summer, we're pil- we are pilgrims in so many ways. Culturally, we're pilgrims. Relationally, we're pilgrims. Spiritually, we're pilgrims. And so these psalms are medicine for our soul. And so we come today to Psalm 125. Psalm 120 shows us that we're on the way to Jerusalem. Psalm 121, we're getting closer to the city. I lift my eyes up to the hills. By Psalm 123, they're in Jerusalem. And then Psalm 125, they are backing away and they're looking at the city from being inside the city at the protection that the city provides God's people. And so... If you're willing and able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word, Psalm 125. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's holy word abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, the context of of Psalm 125 is that there is a challenge to the faith of believers. You see that in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted 
to the righteous. So we don't know why there's wickedness in the land. We don't know if it's by foreign oppression. We don't know if it's because um, there is someone of ill will who is among the people of Israel who is in leadership, right? Wickedness is not... The pagans don't have the corner market on wickedness. You can be a believer and you could practice and lead in ways that are totally unbecoming of one who's a numbered among the people of God. We don't know what the context is exactly, but we do know that there's a problem. And that's listed in the second half of verse 3. That lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So in the context of Psalm 125, there's wickedness and power and the righteous are calling out for help. And it's true that there can be a corrupting influence on those who rule and and guide the culture. And when there's a corrupting influence on those who rule and who guide the culture, oftentimes those things that at one point in time we thought, well, clearly this is wrong, slowly, 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 slowly begin to be accepted as right. In the context here, it's a political context of one who's ruling ancient Israel and he's changing the culture of Israel. And it's obviously applicable to us today. It's always applicable to us, isn't it? Because no matter, no matter who's in power at a local state or, or national level, right? We, in our context, we are to submit to our governing rulers. And, and sometimes we find that those who, who shape the, the powers of culture, the halls of power, can actually shape it in such a way that lead the culture in a direction that is going beyond what God calls us to be comfortable with. We can think of all kinds of illustrations of that. Now, if you know me well enough, you know that I'm a, a pretty equal opportunity offender when it comes um, to, to talking about um, issues involving um, uh, political power because sin is the problem, not political parties. Amen? But it's possible for us, isn't it? It's possible for us as God's people to be very, 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 very subtle in the fact that we are trying to, to, to fight for our rights and, and yet in the at the same moment, we actually restrict civil liberties for all people, regardless of their religion. And in so doing, provide a really damaging context culturally for our children for them to profess their Christianity in a free and open way. It's possible for us, right, for us to, to know when our parents taught us how to communicate with each other with good civil discourse, like to, to have good conversation with people. But our habits have changed so much because we live so much of our life online with social media that, that we fail to know how to demonstrate good civil discourse. And it, it's, like, it's like these ancient, you know, these old boxers. If you've ever boxed, you know what it's like when you train to box. At some point, your manager ties your hand behind your back, and you have to box with one hand. And, and when you box with one hand, you really only have one, one, one punch. It's uppercut, uppercut, uppercut. And that's the way many of us, many of you, and if I'm not careful, I, participate online. Because there's no conversation you just try to uppercut, make a point, make a point, and either you just embarrass yourself by missing your opponent altogether, or you try to knock them out. And that's not conversation. That's how three-year-olds talk. And so what once was considered good civil discourse, we've lost that ability because we've lived our lives online, and we, we, we find ourselves learning, not learning how to talk with those who may differ from us on certain issues. You see those examples? Does that make sense? Listen, what what was very clear to us can sometimes be nulled away by by positions of power or cultural changes. And we have as God's people 
to be able to stand in the middle of that tension and to say, no, we are going to stick with what God's word says and we are going to operate in a way that shows much of Jesus with our love outpoured, like we talked about last week in Romans chapter 14. We are going to serve others in love. We're going to discourse with them. We are going to, even if there's wickedness in the land as there was with Israel, no matter what our, our context may happen to be one day, someday, we are going to operate as those people of God who are running to care and protect those who do not have representation, to love and care and nurture and strengthen and serve as Christians, those who desperately need to be served and therefore demonstrate the love and the beauty of Christ to them. In your own heart, what once seemed unacceptable can sometimes subtly seem acceptable in this psalm is an antidote to that. What this psalm is talking about in Psalm 125, when it says Mount Zion, not only applies to Old Testament saints, but it also applies to believers. When Look at verses 1 and 2, and he talks about Mount Zion. Notice it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And in verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. So in this context, he's equating Mount Zion with the covenant people of God. And we know elsewhere in the Old Testament that the people of God, right, are God's covenant chosen people. And we know that those of us who live on this side of Pentecost, that applies to the church. So the Lord is saying this not only in general to the Old Testament people of God, his covenant people, but he's also saying it today to us, the church. He surrounds his people. So if the psalm speaks today to us, his church, just like it spoke to the Old Testament people of God, speaks now to us, who are spiritual Israel, what is it trying to say to us? And this psalm, quite frankly, is trying to ask the question of us, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? And trust in the Old Testament meant to have a personal relationship with God. Look, in verse 2, it says, as the mountains surround J Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Verse 1, those who trust in the Lord, his people, are those who trust in the Lord. Later on, it says, O Lord, do good to those who are good and those who are upright in heart. Those who trust in the Lord are those who don't just know about God in a general sense. James 2.19 says, even the demons know that God exists and they shudder. It doesn't mean that we know of God and that God is generally in control of all things. No, it means that God is in control of the my, most minute aspects of your life. And he cares about the most minute concerns about which you care. It means it tells us that we trust in the Lord's promises, that he will do what he has said. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it uses the word the fear of the Lord, right? To fear the Lord doesn't mean to, to shrink back in slavish fear. It means to stand in awe of all that God is and all that he does. It also says that you should know. To know the Lord means to trust the Lord. It means a personal relationship with God. To know the Lord. You see this all the way through Ezekiel. And you see this in Isaiah. To know the Lord means to have a personal relationship with the Lord. And it doesn't just apply to the church in general. It also applies to us in particular. 
And notice what it says down in verse 4. It says, do good to those who are good. Lord, do good to those who are good. Is anybody good? No, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? I am exhibit A. The word good there doesn't mean a moral behavior. It means a spiritual position. When it says, Lord, do good to those who are good, it's taking us back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as what? As righteousness. Was Abraham perfect? No. And this psalm is not in any way suggesting perfectionism. It is saying that you are positionally in the place of one who is righteous because God has set his name upon you. Abraham believed God's promises and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so when the Bible uses the term those who are good, those who are righteous, he's not saying that they're perfect. He's not saying that they are somehow morally, necessarily morally abstaining. He's saying they are in a position relative to me of being righteous. It's a position. It's an issue of kind, not of degree. This is important for us, isn't it? Because the Lord says, I will put you in a position of righteousness. Why? Because you trust in the Lord. How do you trust in the Lord? As believers today, it means we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the sign that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? It means that we bring to him the most minute concerns that we have so that we will know that just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And so what does this mean for us? All that to say this. The Lord provides and promises us three things in light of the fact that we are people who trust in the Lord and who have been declared righteous. What does he provide? Number one, he provides stability, verses one and two. He provides surrounding, and he provides sustaining power. He gives us grit. So first, he provides stability. Notice what it says in verse 1. When the earth is quaking beneath everybody's feet, there is one who trusts in the promises of the Lord's stability. They are unmoved. Why? Because it is the Lord who provides the stability. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. The Lord provides the stability, not your resourcefulness, not your relationships, not the clubs you can get into. It's the Lord. Second thing he teaches us is that he surrounds us. Last night I was helping my little boys memorize this verse as the Lord um, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. We were doing this little sing-song game as they were going to bed. And, and my youngest, Augie, says, how can, if God's a person, how can he surround us? It's a good question, isn't it? Jesus is a person. How does he surround us? And he looked at me and he goes, Daddy, is Jesus long? <laughs> like, does he get his arms around us? Like, I said, God is everywhere. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body like men. And Jesus is his son who surrounds us. He provides everything we need. And Augie looked up at me, and he basically says, well, I trust you, Dad, because I don't get it. 
Those are good questions, right? We ask ourselves, seriously, as believers today, we look at our problems and we go, okay, I know what your word says. I know this is 2020. But can you really provide the stability of promise? Because it looks, when I read the paper, like there's not much stability in the world today. There's protests that are going on. People are not listening to each other. There's disagreement on all fronts. And yet we are called as God's people, not only in general, but this text says of us in particular, Calvin says of this text, that this text in particular doesn't just apply in general to the people of God, but it applies in the most minute ways to the individual believer. And so the Lord, not only does he provide stability, but he surrounds his people. He provides protection. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that Jerusalem is a city that's surrounded on three sides by mountains. It's strategically, if you're in the military, you know that this is strategically the best place to be in battle, a valley below you. You can see it. And when David, 3,000 years ago, moved from Hebron to the capital of Israel, when he put it in Jerusalem, he moved and he went up to this hill surrounded by mountains. And it was a picture of God's covenantal love surrounding his people. And so also today, we are surrounded on all sides. Is Jesus long? Far longer than you can imagine. Is he able to get his hands around you in every way, shape, and form? Because he fought for you. He loves you. He cares for you. Not only does it provide stability, not only does he surround you, but thirdly, the Lord sustains you. He sustains you. Notice what it says. It says that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abide forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Between nine and five? No. From this time forth and forevermore. At a time when every month seems like a year in 2020? You bet. At times when things are great and normal? And the years fly by, you bet, from this time forth and forevermore, he sustains you. He gives you grit. It's like what St. Patrick's breastplate once said. If you, if you have the bulletin this morning, you'll notice on the front, the reflection this morning was of what St. Patrick put on his breastplate as he went to war against the king at 433 AD. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left when I lie down, Christ when I sit up, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every stranger who thinks of me, in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, in the eye of those who see me, and in the ear of every stranger who hears me. Christ surrounding his people. St. Patrick had on his breastplate as he rode off into war. Why? Because he knew, he knew Psalm 125, that Christ provides stability, that it is Christ, by your trust in Christ's finished work that provides for you a surrounding, and it's Christ that provides for you the sustaining power that you need. Slavomir Rowitz was uh, in occupied Russian, uh, Russian concentration camp in 1941, and Slavomir Rowitz, together with six other prisoners, broke free of that Russian concentration camp, and they walked. They walked out of Russia. They walked into China 
They walked across the Gobi Desert. They walked across Tibet. They walked all the way to British India. They walked for their freedom. And as Christians, the walk is long. Our walk is long. And we need the sustaining power of God every single step of the way. And you know how you get that. It's because when we think about the power of being stabilized, the power of being surrounded, the power of having the kind of sustaining strength and grit that we need as Christians, where do you get that? You don't get it from yourself. You don't get it by looking inward. You get it because there was one before us who walked and had every way closed to him. Every obstacle presented. And he obeyed his father at every turn. It was the Lord Jesus, wasn't it? Who gave up the stability of heaven. Infinite joy and security in the Father and the Holy Spirit's presence. And it was the Lord Jesus who took on flesh to come and to pay the penalty that you and I deserve. It was the Lord Jesus. It was the Lord Jesus who was surrounded, wasn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said in Psalm 122. Later in the Psalm, you read it says, the bulls of Bashan encompass me, surround me. Once surrounded by myriad and myriad of angels, here Jesus is on the cross, utterly abandoned so that you can be forever surrounded. And it was Jesus on the cross, wasn't it? It wasn't Adam in the garden. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. Adam had no grit in the garden. He had no sustaining power. He quickly left the commands of God and went out on his own. And it was the second Adam, the Lord Jesus, that gives us the power of the psalm because you read it through the eyes of Christ. It was Jesus who provided the sustaining power, who when the wicked were in power, when the wicked were literally beating Christ, not a word did he utter from his mouth. Why? Because he went to death like a lamb to the slaughter. He could have immediately called that whole party off, but he went there. Why? Because he knew that in 2020, you needed the comforting assurance and help of Psalm 125. It was the Lord Jesus who had the sustaining power to accomplish what you and I can't accomplish. And so, friends, let us as a church trust in the Lord. Do you trust in the Lord? Do you come to worship expecting God to move in your midst? He can. He is. He's here. And so let me encourage you to trust in the Lord in three ways before we go to the Lord's table. Number one, trust in the Lord in the way that you pray. Pray like Psalm 125. Do you pray like that? Do you cry out to the Lord in the midst of help, or do you just go and read more articles to give you more information? Information will kill your prayer life because you'll never have enough of it. Do you stop and do you pray? Pray on your knees. Yes, learn. Of course, learn. Think hard, but pray. Second way, Keep coming to worship, whether it's in person or it's online. Keep coming to worship. It is, it is the way God nurtures his people. The quickest way that Satan is going to get you off your game is if you simply allow COVID-19 in the season of total craziness for us to cause you to change your habits. God has built us to worship together. And so keep coming. Keep watching TV. Put the, put the, uh, the, the worship service on the biggest TV in your room and worship together from home or in person. Keep coming. Keep coming. And the third is ask yourself really hard questions. What is it that you really trust in? Because as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Your 401k won't surround you. 
it looks like you're surrounded on all sides, but you're not. Your resourcefulness will not provide what you need. It is the Lord who provides ultimately what you need. And if we understand that as God's people, we of all people should be the most loving and caring for each other because we know that our righteousness together comes from the finished righteousness of Christ. So when you meet in person, you don't have to try to impress people because we're already impressed by each other. We're Christ's. And so we can just get on with the business of loving each other and using our gifts for God's glory. Jesus, our Passover lamb, he lost his stability so that we might gain it. He was abandoned so that we might be surrounded by his love. And Jesus was able to continue to obey his Father, and he himself was perfect for us so that we who are sinners might be restored to a right relationship with the Father in heaven and not only be given grit to sustain difficult times and culture in our day, but be given a name of righteous and good because of the finished work of Christ. Isn't that good news? Amen. And amen. Would you pray with me? Father, Psalm 125 is a well far deep for us to see to the bottom. But it is a clarion call for us to trust in you. And to recognize that as your covenant people, you do surround us, you sustain us, you nurture us. And Lord, help us, therefore, to be people who pray, to be people who continue to run to worship together, to be people who continue to ask ourselves fundamental questions. In what do we really trust? Father, would you help us to lean in as we come to your table this morning and to run to your table by faith. And for those, Lord, who are watching at home, I pray that you would create in them a hunger and a thirst for the Lord's table, that you might allow them by the elders and by me coming to them personally and giving them the Lord's table. Lord, would you work in their heart even now, we pray, as you separate us out. Would you help us nevertheless to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, stabilized by the finished work of Christ, surrounded by his love, giving the sustaining power that only comes to those who are among the covenant people of God. And Lord, help us to live that way with confidence and with boldness as we come now to the table in Jesus' name. Amen.